just been hacked. Could be worse than Snowden. Facial recognition got a hit. Jesus Christ, that's Jason Bourne. Why would it come back now? Hello and welcome to the Electric Shadows podcast with me, Rob Daniel, editor of electric-shadows.com. As always, I am very pleased to say that I am joined by my learned colleague, Mr. Rob Wallace. Uh, pleasure to be here, as always. And today we are going to be talking about Jason Bourne. So Bourne thinks he's a, he's a bit of a hard guy, yeah? Yeah, you know, I... He thinks he's he, hard. He thinks he's ARD, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's currently 7.38 on a Saturday morning, so uh, the real hard men are <laughs> recording this podcast. One, because it's very early, and two, because we are talking about the new Bourne film, which is going to be, I think, quite a difficult task. But actually, before we get on to that, I have to apologise, Rob. There were a few instances of pilot error in the Ghostbusters podcast, all by me, I'm afraid. Oh. So, a few corrections there... So it turns out you can watch a film a million times and still get some stuff wrong about it. So when we watched Ghostbusters again after doing the Ghostbusters podcast, I realised, one, it's not Larry King who says, how is Elvis? It's a talk show host, I don't know who it is. Um, But Larry King is in it, but he's in it in a scene before that, or the shot before that. Uh, It's not the Brooklyn Bridge they drive across that Ray and Winston Drive across is the Manhattan Bridge because you can see the Brooklyn Bridge in the background and also because there are three of these <laughs> it's not Central Park that Peter meets up with Dana in when they talk about the Hittites in, in that book it's actually just in a plaza outside her building but if there's um, anything if what you just you know if your previous areas are anything to go on it's probably adjo- it's adjacent to Central Park so you know, you were adjacent to the correct, you know, to being factually accurate every time. Well, thank you for giving me that one. Um, so yeah, if you still want to uh, to record this podcast after those egregious errors, then um, then thank you. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm not going to make a decision now. I may just bail halfway through recording yes, this. Say, no, I'm sorry, but you're wrong on that as well, and uh, you're wrong about everything about Bourne and about film. I'm out so, and uh, drop the mic. I'm out and drop the mic. Well, I'm going to on the desk in front of us. Yes, just sweep it into the corner. I'm going to pick up the heavy mic and then I'm going to put it down again with a certain force. Cool, okay, so in this podcast we will be talking about Jason Bourne. And uh, so, yes, some stats about Bourne. So this is the fifth in the Bourne franchise, I suppose we're calling it now. I think this is certainly Quintology. A quintology, we can call it that. Um, quintet. I think the all involved clearly want this to be a franchise because this is left open for another film by the closing credits. Um, I mean, is Damon, apart from uh, the Oceans trilogy, which is now sort of very much over, you'd assume, mm. is Damon the biggest star in the world not to currently have or male action star in the world not to currently have a franchise of any sort interesting who are the other big male stars so you have Cruz who has Mission Impossible Impossible that's right Jack Reacher as well if um, if the next one does well well The Rock kind of has Fast and Furious but that seems to be so that was Vin Diesel's wasn't it and that's his kind of franchise although I don't think you call Vin Diesel the biggest or one of the big movie stars. Well, yeah, well, Vin Although Diesel's does... trying to get back into Triple X. That's right, yeah, so he's, he's, he's got that coming out soon, as, or, you know, at some point as well. 
Who are the other big stars? I mean, I suppose yeah, Keanu Reeves doesn't really have a franchise anymore, though yeah, John Wick is going to get a sequel. Is there anyone that you're thinking of that... Well, I was thinking, like, you know, even we were discussing yesterday um, Tom Hanks, and even Tom Hanks now has a franchise because they've... Because Inferno. Yeah, so uh, the continuation of the Dan Brown, Robert... What's his character's name in it? Robert, Robert Langdon. Robert Langdon. Kind of sequel to The Da Vinci Code and also to Angels and Demons. Yeah, that's coming out, isn't it? I think the bigger question is, does Matt Damon need to have a Bourne franchise? Because his career seems to be doing fine without Bourne. Um, because, yeah, before this, obviously, it was The Martian. He did The Martian. He was, um, slight spoiler here, but the, film, but the film came out a few years ago, Interstellar. He had a, a very good supporting role in, in that. Um, he's had films, I mean, but I don't think he's really chased action films. I mean, he's done things like We Bought a Zoo, which I don't think was that good, but it was still a bit of a hit. And yeah, he did the Adjustment Bureau, which was like a, a bit of a romantic action film, come kind of sci-fi film, which actually I thought based was based on a Philip K. Dick. Yeah, loosely based on a on a Philip K. Dick book um, or story. But yeah, so the Bourne film. So we've had, in my humble opinion, a fantastic trilogy of films. So the Bourne Identity, Supremacy, Ultimatum, and you really needed those in order for it to sort of reach its apex with the with, Bourne Legacy. With the Bourne Legacy, the uh, the best of the Bourne films, in my opinion, I just felt that Matt Damon was warming the seat for Jeremy Renner to come in. So Born Identity 2002, Supremacy 2004, Ultimatum 2007. Universal clearly thought it's been five years since we've had a Born film and people need their Born fix. So in 2012 there was the Born Legacy with Jeremy Renner kind of replacing Matt Damon. He wasn't Born, he was a agent who was in the Born Universe, universe, and also within the program as well, wasn't he? And yeah, yeah, Legacy was the best of the Bourne films. In I'm, I'm, I'm to say, I'm, I'm really glad we're on the same page about this. Absolutely, it was in no way a flaming car wreck that utterly cheapened everything that had come before. I, I it. would argue, though, that as you know, as titles go, it makes the most sense since the original Bourne. Because it's got the Born identity, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. He's looking for the Born supremacy. I don't. The Born ultimatum, and then the Born legacy. You're like, okay, Born legacy makes sense again because this is the legacy of Born. Whereas the Born supremacy, you're like, he's. I don't see him going undercover in like a white power cult. You're right, actually. The Born supremacy doesn't really make sense in terms of it being a middle title it should be the final title but then I suppose that if it was the final the title ultimatum it feels be... very final it does but I who suppose... gives an ultimatum in that film I've seen I watched those three the first three films the original trilogy during this week over the course of like a day and a half I can't remember anybody getting an ultimatum in that fi- in in the Bourne ultimatum well isn't the ultimatum that um, the Bourne is saying if you don't stop this if you don't tell me what is going on and what you've done to me then I'm going to bring the entire house but down but then, then to some extent aren't all the films just the Bourne ultimatum because <laughs> isn't he's, that's essentially I mean he's you know whether he's being active or reactive he's always searching for who he, who he is uh, and it's usually in conjunction with some shady government program that's true it's um, I mean I would say that supremacy there's not he's not really supreme in, in in those films he doesn't come out on top I don't think apart from what the end of Supremacy um, and there will be a, a few spoilers to the earlier Bourne films here because we are talking about well almost a decade since Ultimatum at the end of Supremacy kind of he's kind of 
on top at the end of the film. But then, of course, the end of Supremacy actually is a scene that happens halfway through Ultimatum. So they seem to have, to give Supremacy a bit of a happy ending, they take a scene that, interestingly, comes quite a way into the next film. But Legacy, of course, so Legacy, we are joking. Legacy was bad, and it was the worst of the Bourne films so far. It was written and directed by Tony Gilroy, who had written the previous Bourne films, and it's my theory, although it's never been confirmed, that Legacy was originally going to be Ultimatum. That was the script for Ultimatum. Because Matt Damon said that um, that the original script that he read for Ultimatum was embarrassing, career-ending. Um, it just made no sense. It kind of like you know, betrayed everything that had come before. Um, and when you watch Legacy, with that ridiculous science fiction plot about super soldiers and smart drugs and and Jeremy Renner's running up a house and it's like no this is this is awful do you think I mean obviously that would, that would be a completely different backstory for, I mean that's presuming that they took the what was going to be the backstory for Bourne and then put it onto Aaron Cross do you think it's also partly I don't, and I, and I, there, might be, there might be nothing to this Matt Damon is wouldn't be willing to play a guy who was actually not, you know, somebody whose intelligence came from drugs. I mean, have you? Have, can you think of a character that Matt, that Matt Damon plays who's not a smart guy? Team America. Yeah. Okay. That's. <laughs> but they, but even that in itself, that's just that's just subverting the the idea that he because he only plays smart guys. I mean, his first role is a super genius. Is somebody who shows up everyone else at Harvard despite the fact, role, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, despite the fact that he only empties the bins. You know, he's there, he's there emptying the bins and he yeah. solves the equation on the board. You know, does Matt Damon exclusively play smart people? I, I'm not sure about that. I think that that is Matt Damon being smart in real life and saying, no, this cannot be the end to our film um, or to our trilogy because it makes no sense on what's, on what's gone before. Because the thing about Bourne, when you first saw it, it was like, it's like, well, we don't need Bond anymore because we have a new kind of spy and look at what he can do and look at the way that this is... Uh, this story is being told. It seemed very kind of urgent and very immediate and very relevant. It was um, technology that we hadn't seen before. It was actually like kind of um, a combat style that we hadn't really seen until that point. It wasn't theatrical martial arts that we'd had in in the Matrix. It was and close up and ugly. And close up ugly. It was. It would be the minimum amount of effort possible to you know, defeat your opponent. It was um, one of those things where you realise that a rolled up magazine could be quite a tough weapon. Or a hardback book. Or a pen. Or a pen. Yeah, indeed. There's a, yeah, there's a really wincy bit with a pen when it goes in his hand, isn't there? Yeah, so there's lots of things um, about Bourne. And it came out at a time after 9-11, and it seemed to be like a proper 9-11 spy trilogy in terms of what a government is prepared to do to... Protect. To protect yeah, its, to... its interests. Not yeah, freedom, but its interests, and what it's prepared to turn people into to, to be the protectors of know. that. As they say, to uh, to quote somebody, you know, freedom isn't free. Freedom isn't free. And what's that from? Uh, it's from Team America. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which I think is actually probably the the key nine eleven film. Um, and I will make an argument for that. But anyway, so um, so we had this very very good trilogy of films. I you know watching them recently, really enjoyed all of them. I couldn't necessarily tell you where one ends and the other begins 
Because the Bourne films have a formula to them that is like, okay, right, so we're going to have a shadowy organisation that's run by a, a craggy actor of some repute. And it will be either yeah, Chris Cooper or Brian Cox, Albert Finney, David Strathairn, Tommy Lee Jones in this one. And um, there will be uh, an assassin played by an interesting character actor, uh, Clive Owen, Carl Urban, Edgar Ramirez, and uh, now Vincent Cassell. Yes. Bourne will be pulled into this world. There will be something about his past that he needs to, um, to recall. Probably as it relates to some government programme that's called, you know, Blackbriar, Treadstone, Thing Thing. Yes, indeed. In this one, it's um, Iron Hand, oh, isn't yeah. it? It's, um, so, and again, that's even that seems a bit more kind of on the nose. <gasps> yeah, and try hard than yeah, Treadstone and Blackbriar. Because, like, well, you can't really infer from that that they are nefarious government plots. But Iron Hand is like, well, that sounds a bit. That doesn't sound at all militaristic. Yeah, yeah, that sounds a bit suspect, doesn't it? A bit sinister. So we're jumping around a bit, but just to kind of just to finish off, like yeah, the Bourne trilogy. Although we are going to yeah, return to it, I'm sure. Yeah, for me, it was like well, that was an incredibly satisfying trilogy, and it had a yeah a very definite ending that actually was um, at a time that it was made, when a lot of revelations had come out about the way that governments like yeah run extraordinary rendition uh, rendition programs and um, and have you know, lots of different things they're doing that are probably not the best thing to do and certainly not really defending freedom and, and not making the world a better place I thought it was good that that trilogy ended on like a note of optimism so as far as you know a man getting shot and falling off <laughs> falling five stories into the Hudson and after going through quite a lot of you know, physical and emotional and psychological stress it's still that's the thing it's it, it Still managed to have an optimistic ending, which I, which is no mean feat. So, and then Legacy comes along, and Legacy is clearly just an attempt by the studio to, to continue the franchise. And yeah, Matt Damon didn't want to return to it. Paul Greengrass didn't want to return to it. They said they were done with it. And so you have the writer Tony Gilroy writing and directing this film that ultimately, like, you know, cheapened things that came before it. You have to. Forget, uh-huh, which is quite good for a franchise about amnesia. You have to forget that film exists. Uh-huh. But now we have Jason Bourne, and it's like, okay, right. Which also, amusingly, completely forgets the Bourne legacy ever happened. There is just no reference to Bourne legacy at all in this film. It's like, it's like, no, that did not happen, guys. We, are, yeah, this is the next Bourne film after Ultimatum. And I remember earlier this year when we were doing the Deadpool podcast, we were looking at all the superhero films that were coming up yeah, this year, and we also went on a, on a bit of a tangent, which is yeah, unlike really. Can't, <laughs> can't credit that. About Bourne, about the Jason Bourne films. And there is a Jason Bourne film coming out this year. That's weird, isn't it? That seems to have almost come from nowhere. And there's a Bourne film... And the trailer didn't really do it for me. Um, it seemed a bit like yeah, someone trying to do Bourne. And then we saw it last night, and in my opinion, our early fears were kind of justified when we saw it. Yeah, I think it stuck <coughs> with the... It largely stuck with the formula, apart from a few variations that, you know, to one, don't necessarily work. I mean, that's... you could, that, you could that, you could title this film the Bourne Variation. Yes, it's um... because you know Jason Bourne is 
the name of it's such a franchise starter name. It's like if the next James Bond film is called James Bond, we know that they're really <laughs> going for like. And you, but you can't do that with Bourne because Bourne has such a the franchise has such a fetish for continuity. This film opens with a with a montage of murder. Yes, of indeed. Like, here's Bourne killing some people, some in cold blood, some in you know combat. And it's going. Remember, remember all this stuff, which is quite good in in a way because, as you said earlier, Ultimatum was a film that came out nine years ago. Therefore, I think that people, yeah, most people will need like a bit of a refresher on it. Although I don't think it's actually presented as previously on on Bourne. It's very kind of fragmented and but, like. But it's one of his one of his real time flashbacks. One of his real time flashbacks, which we get onto as well. But um, yeah, so the plot, and you're right. I mean, like yeah, the Bourne variations. I mean. The plot of Jason Bourne on IMDb, the most dangerous former operative of the CIA, is drawn out of hiding to uncover hidden truths about his past. Isn't that also basically the title of the the synopsis for Supremacy and Ultimatum, and Identity as well? I would say. Well, he's not. Re- he's kind of. He's active. He's more active in Identity. Oh, I because he's, okay, he's the one looking for stuff. Yeah, yes, indeed. Yeah, it ties into the first one. But yeah, you're right. It is. Supremacy and Ultimatum, that is the plot of those films as well. And the thing about this is that it does what I really don't like in films, which can be seen in lots of films, including you know, Ghostbusters 2, to go back to last week's podcast. So you have a film that ends and it ends in a completely satisfying way. So the way to continue it in the next film is to say, actually, no, that wasn't as satisfying as you thought. He's still troubled. He still can find no peace. He still. Um, is you know wandering the earth. He um, he's putting himself in danger. He's basically still ha- having to atone for things. But rather than going off and joining um, Greenpeace or Doctors Without Borders or, or like yeah the UN or Amnesty or something like that, and working and using his skills in those um, conflict yeah, zones to make a difference. Absolutely, he's basically going around and just being involved in bare knuckle fist fights and yeah stuff like that for beer money, presumably. He is too intelligent to do that. It's like, you know, he would have found a certain amount of peace in what he'd uncovered about his past. It's like, yeah, this is... He'd be doing something for good now. He would be working for good. Like Sean Penn's character in The Gunman, which was also, like, a not very good film, but I quite like the idea there that he was a one-time kind of mercenary or someone who had a shady military background. But to try and get some atonement, he was going off and working for... Yeah, the Red Cross or someone like that, and providing muscle in these conflict zones, um, or like your yeah, protection within these. Oh, just, I'm just imagining Sean Penn coming up with the idea for that film. Yes, indeed, so self-satisfied. I need, I need to be a badass, but I also need to be a humanitarian. Yes, I need to be a humanitarian badass who surfs and does his own surfing. That's very important. Um, yeah, Matt Damon doesn't surf in this film, but I say he coasts. He definitely coasts in this film. So the talent behind this one, then, so. Paul Greengrass. Paul the Green Greengrass of Home. Paul the Green Greengrass of Home is returning as the director. Also, I think it's the first time that he's a writer on a Bourne film. So Tony Gilroy, the scribe behind the original trilogy and legacy, is not involved in this one, I don't think. Um, Because what I heard about Ultimatum, to return to that, is that he got paid to do a single draft. Right. And he kind of just churned it out, knowing that this wasn't going to be the final... Oh, interesting. And I think that's because I because Matt Damon kind of 
revealed all this because it's in an interview where he he kind of blew up at Tony Gilroy, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, they had a massive falling out. Yeah, and um, and you know we think that turned into legacy. Paul, it's interesting that also the uh, the co-writer of this was uh, Christopher Rouse, who is, is an editor. This is his first screenwriting credit. Yeah, and I think I think that's quite telling because these films, the Bourne films, are very well edited. They are kind of they, and you can say it about this one as well. Like, you know, Jason Bourne is not a boring film. It doesn't really stop a lot. It kind of it's always on the move. It opens with um, a kind of action scene to do with. Um, yeah, it was cyber crime, and then you're almost immediately then into um, into a riot in Greece, like a anti-austerity riot. So, and it does, it moves along at a fair old cliff. It comes in at just under two hours without credits. Well, there, there um, are sort of three key set pieces in that in the film, yeah. one in each act, and I, it's, it's always interesting when somebody who isn't previous, well, it doesn't previously seem to have a background in writing. But what? Because obviously Paul Greengrass is very, he probably knows Christopher Rouse very well. He's worked with him on several occasions, and the fact that he's a credited writer on this smacks of him like Paul Greengrass sitting down and trying to come up with an idea for a Bourne film and getting somebody he knows who knows the franchise well and be like, "Hey, Chris, do you want to come and give me a hand with this script? Because you, because you know, you've been, you've worked on all the other films, and Matt's off doing his thing. He's off doing the Martian. He's on Mars right now, so we can't really get in touch with him." Um, so that's all they're supposed to just sit down and hash this out I'll give you a screenwriting credit absolutely that's the thing is is that it does feel like a film where they have tried to hit the Bourne beats but they haven't really fleshed out anything that made the original trilogy special which is primarily character um, I'd say this is you know, a characterless film so the Bourne beats that's currently the winning that's, that's currently the winning title for for the next one yeah for, the, for, for this one the, the actual title uh, the Bourne because, Beats because yeah. we can't just call it Jason Bourne because it's going to get confusing yes. so kind of yeah. it's the Bourne Beats the Bourne Beats or Bourne Spooky that's, that's the next one or Born Again <laughs> it's Born Again <laughs> but speaking of characters so, so the characters in this film so we have Matt Damon playing Jason Bourne Tommy Lee Jones playing Robert Dewey who is the director of the CIA Alicia Vikander uh, who is playing Heather Lee, who's a, a very capable, quite high up operative within the CIA. Uh, Riz Ahmed playing a guy called Aaron Kalor. Yes, which we'll come on to in terms of what of what his character is soon, because um, that really did bother me a little bit. Um, so Julia Stiles returns as Nikki Parsons, who's kind of um, who's Bourne's handler within the field, and Vincent Cassell is a very formidable opponent, who's known as the Asset. In the first film, the uh, hitman is called the Professor. Yes. And in the second one, I think he actually does have a name. It's something like Kirill. Right. It's Russian. It's like, you know... Played by Carl Urban. Played by Carl Urban. And I can't remember what Egromirez's character is called in the third one. But yeah, these there is a degree to which these characters are meant to be ciphers. They are there to serve a plot function. They are somebody who, you know, whose skills vaguely match Bourne's own so that they can face off in some capacity. So it's not just born taking down endless people who lack the training that he does. Yes, it's, uh, which in a way would be more interesting, I think. Uh, so Edgar Ramirez, Paz, that's his character name, in Ultimatum. So when Jason Bourne started, it was like, OK, right, so let's see. I mean, Paul Greengrass is, is a good director. I think the Green Zone was, um, was a real stumble, but overall, I've really enjoyed his films. I thought the Captain Phillips was a very good film indeed. Yeah, Matt Damon is just one of those 
yeah, he's a good actor. He's a, he's a good, agreeable movie star. Yeah, he, he has charisma. He has a certain kind of everyman quality to him. Um, Bourne doesn't well. exactly demand much on the acting front. See, in a way, though, I would say that when you watch the original films, it does because he doesn't have a lot of dialogue. He has to do everything through facial expression and through his body language. And there's a great bit in Supremacy, and I remember watching it for the first time when I still wasn't really used to uh, to Matt Damon as an action star. A bit in Supremacy when he's in Germany, I don't know if you remember the city he's in, when he gets arrested basically and is in that interview room and they say, yeah, don't go near him, just wait until the CIA operatives get there. Munich? And I think... I thought it was Munich, yeah. It could be Munich. A local copper walks into the room, and Matt Damon's in the shot, slightly out of focus, I think, and his head's down, and his eyes are completely in shadow because of his brow, and he's just gone into shutdown mode, and he's just waiting for an opportunity. And he looks so threatening, and so kind of like, he's so still, but looks so dangerous, and you're thinking, he's just waiting to see the opportunity, and he's basically just gone into shutdown, and and all he's aware of now is when that opportunity is going to arrive. And I thought, ooh, ooh, Matt Damon, you look really, really threatening there, and actually really intimidating. And there are moments like that through all the Bourne films, I think. Um, he does that without being... I mean, he's obviously very in shape in all the films, without having that avert... With, like, an avert physicality. Yeah. But in Jason Bourne, obviously, they've got, you know, they've got the beefcake shot. Yeah, of, and that's of, the thing, which you've never really had before. Which, you know, is him being incredibly muscly and well, and well sort of honed physically. In a way, whenever you see that... I, I have no idea what it takes to get to that stage of you know, physical perfection, but presumably it's not something that comes about from the sort of lifestyle he's living. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's um, well, I think we know what it takes, Rob, because it takes seven assistants in the credits yeah, at the is. end of the film. There's a, there, I think there are seven assistants that Matt Damon has in this film for various different things, and it's like, wow, okay, so that's. So it took seven people plus Matt to get that performance. Mm, that's a bit disappointing because I don't because it. I just thought he was going through the motions. In, and I think is this because you're now in your late forties and you want to show that you still have an, an amazing physique? Because it didn't really seem to be necessary that Bourne kept getting his top off. Unless it's well, you could argue that it's I mean, it was it's bare knuckle fighting. Therefore, if you have something on, then it can be used against you to be pulled or held or something like that. And it was let's say that's that moment. What there's what there's. I did like the fact that you can see the two bullet scars on his back from when he gets shot in the original film. Mm. But yeah, it did it did feel a little bit like this is this is a, an egregious shot that is meant to impress upon us how physically impressive Bourne and by and by extension Matt Damon is that the original films didn't feel the need to do. No, and also and we don't need to know because when well, we've seen the original Bourne films, we know how impressive he is um, because we've seen him you know, basically fight his way through an army of CIA people to get to the top and uncover everything and blah blah blah. Okay, so the plot of this film. So the so the basic story is yeah, he has to remember bits of his past to uncover a shadowy organization. He's a he's a dangerous ex operative from CIA. CIA, he's still on their most wanted list. Um and so in this film the basic plot is that uh, so Nikki Parsons played by Julia Stiles has kind of gone Rogue, she's working for an Assange-like figure. An Assange-like figure, yeah. So they're um, Christian so... de Salt. 
which is as close as you can get to Julian Assange without just being without just calling him Julian just, Assange. So she steals secrets from the CIA <laughs> from the CIA website and but gets tracked and she steals secrets from a folder labeled Black Operations. Yes, I know, and there's lots of that because there was like another point where where the Alicia Vikander character types in something like run algorithm program or something and it's like really is that how is that how the computer would do computer that? thing do computer thing and again it's, the, it's that level of inauthenticity that we just didn't have for the original because I can tell you that you know as somebody who spends a lot of time using CMS yes indeed the content management systems yeah that you work with they are not as easy as please make it do that thing that it did before where the picture goes where I want it to go yeah it's not like that at all is it anyway so Nikki steals these secrets um, they're on a flash drive um, and she gets in touch with Bourne and then it's all back to and they get picked up on like yeah they're back on the radar again and the CIA are after them and it turns out that, lo and behold, Bourne has something else in his memory bank that he's yeah, struggling to uh, to remember that again uncovers a secret about his past. That goes back further. That goes back further than we've ever been before in his yeah, particular memory bank. Um, and the Bourne conception? Bourne, yes, indeed, that would be great. I can remember being <laughs> born. Um, <laughs> And then we just go through the motions of going to lots of different countries, um, having lots of yeah, spectacular set pieces, some close quarter combat, yeah, people standing in rooms with lots of computer com- monitors, computer yeah. monitors and big boards that have lots of yeah, numbers and information and surveillance footage on them. It goes round like that. We have a yeah, brief stop off in London, so we get to see Paddington Plaza. That was all right, I thought. Um, and then we're in. Las Vegas, which seems a very unborn place, even though, as we've seen in in the Big Short, that all the banks and all the trading firms and stuff, yeah, used to have their annual conferences in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. So you think, well, yeah, probably the CIA will go to will go to Vegas as well and and have a conference about privacy. One of the subplots there is also that um, yeah, Riz Ahmed is playing like a bit of a Mark Zuckerberg here, isn't he? And yeah, it's sort of a social media tycoon who. Deep Dream, that's the name of the social media uh, website or kind of um, portal that that he's created that has one and a half billion users or something like that. It's like, wow, that's that's quite successful then, isn't it? Um, and it's all cloud-based. What does that mean for privacy? Oh, oh, we don't know. And neither does the film. The film doesn't really seem to know if this what kind of threat this is. It just hangs around in the background as a subplot. And it's like, what is the threat here, though? Yeah, I mean, it does sort of... It's trying to be topical. But that, I mean, it's not quite sort of Nine Eyes surveillance... The Nine Eyes surveillance programme Inspector, which is so token. It, I don't think it ever gets used in that film. No. But it does feel like in, in this, it's kind of like, well, we need to be about... There needs to be something going on. That it, there needs to be some shadowy programme. And back in the early 2000s, the idea of, you know, Extraordinary Rendition and... Uh, you know, uh, extrajudicial assassination that was topical and interesting. And what is everyone really interested in now? Privacy. Okay, so it's the CIA spying on people, and we need to make some effort to have an opinion on that. So hence, the Julian Assange character who gets a, gets a, a line about wanting to tear down the corrupt institutions of the world, and Tommy Lee Jones gets to be craggy and pontificate a bit about necessary sort of 
yeah. invasion of privacy well, in order to, to keep the country safe. safe. Yeah, it's kind of, and it's just those things. We're thinking, well, and as you pointed out, you know, when we were talking about legacy, Edward Norton's character does that. He says, like, yeah, you have to do bad things for good reasons. Um, and it's just that we are the sin eaters. We are the sin eaters, and it's just. Ugh. <laughs> Again, it's like, you know, we, you have to invade people's privacy to keep them safe. We have to stop another terrorist attack, etc., etc. And the thing that struck me about this was that... So Ultimatum came out 2007. Really, Facebook hadn't taken off as a, as a thing at that point. It was um, embryonic. So there wasn't really social media when the last Bourne film, or the end of the original trilogy, was released. Yeah, this should be manna from heaven for for Greengrass and for Damon and for the Bourne but franchise. It feels like it's playing catch-up. It really does. It's kind of, uh, you're thinking, well, yeah, because it was all about privacy. It was all about, like, yeah, snooping and you, there's always a camera on you somewhere, you know, it's in the sky and you can't see it. And it's like, well, now you... But, yeah, we now live in a world where an entire generation's notion of privacy and what yeah, should be shared and shouldn't be shared has been, you could argue, corrupted or it's yeah, certainly evolved into something else because they are taking pictures of themselves, they're sharing their image, they're sharing their personal preferences, they're putting their thoughts online. There's so much information now that people are just freely making available about themselves. You're thinking, well, that's a really interesting idea for Bourne in terms of, well, if people are willingly doing this, then is it wrong for a government agency to utilise that? And, yeah, that's one of the things about the Deep Dream programme, isn't it? That it, it just takes everything that you're doing... And, and that puts it together it's to kind less of... like Facebook. I mean, although Facebook does have the things like targeted ads, and more like sort of Google Plus. It is like Google Plus or um, like Windows Ten, which has a lot of snooper stuff in there, including um, it will record your keystrokes so it can you know, better learn what you're interested in um, to make mm. yeah, predictive recommendations. If you've got Windows Ten, I would rec- I will send you a link in terms of yeah, turning off some of the privacy things there. It's um, or turning on some of the privacy things there, it's kind of... Because, like, well, I don't want my keystrokes being looked at. <laughs> because I don't. It's because we write about action films a lot and we don't want to get flagged as, you know... It's terrorists, because it's all like... Because I'm, yeah, I'm typically writing about, like, yeah, superhero films and DC superhero films. As we all know, they're all about terrorism now. That's it. So, therefore, the word terrorist gets written a lot by me. So, therefore, I don't want Although to... Although, I guess... Terrorists probably don't use the word terrorist that often. No. Um, yeah, if I start writing like yeah, Freedom Fighter or um, Brave Warrior, then it'll be like, no, no, yeah, he's a wrong one. But anyway, yeah, so there's this whole thing there um, about social media. But it's never really used, is it? I mean, like, yeah, you don't see Snapchat or Instagram or any kind of um, analogue to <gasps> that in this film. Do you think Bourne has a MySpace account? Do you think... <laughs> yes, that's it. This is the this is the Bourne embarrassment. It's he when is... he uncovers. That's what the next step's going to be. It's going to be finding out that he had one of those really early, like, you know, MySpace or whatever it was. And he's and, he, and it's going to be him logging in and seeing lots of, you know, him doing peace signs under, under filters. And it'll be one of those things where, like, yeah, he logs onto his MySpace account. It's it's bright yellow. Music starts playing immediately. It's a complete nightmare to look at. And it's like, <gasps> do you think he had a Neopet? Well, I don't even know what that is. Okay, sorry, that's <laughs> anyway. that was me. That was me dating myself, Barry. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, so that's the thing is that you're thinking, okay, right. So you had all this interesting stuff about the way that people have changed in terms of what they're sharing, in terms of the way that people are interacting with each other. I mean, yeah, virtual friendships are now a thing 
and it goes into none of that it just goes into it's just the same thing again about Bourne has to remember something about his past to uncover something nefarious being done now by the CIA by yeah, someone else who's just as you said a craggy old white man um, yeah, next on the has, list has Tom Bourne Lee Jones. ever talked to an expert about his memory problems ever well, that would be interesting, yeah, because you think, well, now there are going to be loads of amnesia groups up that he could log on to, a, like, a forum there and ask about that and say, look, I, I really need to, some help on just getting... Because I keep... I thought I'd you know, remembered everything, but now there's something else that I'm... I'm, ju- I'm just getting, like, periodic downloads. Yeah. And is there any way that we can just get the full, you know, that the full system access? Like, why isn't he, you know... I mean, to see, like, a hypnotist... I mean, obviously, that would involve like yielding up a certain amount of control, but yeah, just you just keep on wandering around the world, waiting for things to get conveniently triggered. Yeah. So the, in re- again, in real time. In real time. So the born hypnosis would be quite a good film. Yeah. So let's get on to that then. Um, so actually, no, if you don't mind, first of all, there's there's something here that happens, and we won't spoil it, but there's something that happens in the first half hour of this film that I thought was very mean-spirited. Um, there's um, it's something that happens to a character. We're not going to say which one or what sex they are, but there's something that happens to a character in this film that I thought, again, the way that Legacy cheapened the original trilogy, this also cheapened the original trilogy. Because think, well, we don't do this in Bourne films. Bourne films are smarter than this. Um, you can have like yeah, dramatic moments in a Bourne film and dramatic moments involving yeah, death or something like that that actually yeah, feed into one the stakes and also the danger that he's in and the world that he operates in and that there's like yeah, that, that there will be bad surprises in the world that he operates in I remember watching Supremacy thinking and being very very surprised that it wasn't a false memory that he kills those people the, the, yeah, that's what in he was in cold blood. In yeah. very cold blood. Yeah, it's like um, that. That's what he was before the amnesia. And it's like, well, that's really interesting because yeah, my heroes were like Bond or someone like that. Yeah, I came from a time when your hero wouldn't have done yeah, something like that, and he wouldn't have been compromised in that way. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. But you know, when I was growing up, all my heroes were compromised. All, all your heroes were compromised. And that's was, the, was that like almost like a? I don't know. I don't. I don't want to try and read into this too much but like is that like a post Clinton thing maybe I mean, yeah yeah it would be interesting to go back and see when that first when started the it's definitely the kind of like um a post 9-11 thing I think I mean it's um it really but actually no no because um you're right because I think it, it really came in with 24 and stuff like yeah. that and of course that was all happened before well 24 started before 9-11 so there was yeah there was a it could be a Sopranos thing like, yeah it could be like an HBO thing that we suddenly have more interesting characters who are not yeah, good guys, and that yeah then fed into the hero, and exactly you can add some real shading to this character, and he can still be the hero. But in this film, in Jason Bourne, it does something that uh, in the first half hour to a character that I thought, well, actually that is mean spirited. It's also very, it's also very lazy, and it really seemed like a computer game. It's like okay, right, so that character is just there to give you this piece of yeah this thing that will then keep the plot going in this direction and it's just yeah, getting from this level to this level and this film did feel like a, a born computer game or an episode of 24 and and uh, it's interesting that Matt Damon wasn't involved in the born video game because it was too violent oh really yeah oh, I didn't know that I, I haven't played it I just I'm just aware it exists and that he refused to be involved 
Oh, interesting. That's the thing is that, yeah, this film is not, in terms of the on-screen violence, there isn't a lot of it. And actually, in terms in terms of its moral compass, it's not one of those queasy films where you're going like, mm, okay, but that means that he's... That we're okay with that. Oh, there is one moment in it where Bourne does something that we are meant to... I don't know whether we're meant to condone, but they brush past it very quickly. In, sure I remember in, that. Involving he has... I'm just, I'm just going to say it, Go because it's not, it's not... He kneecaps someone. Oh, yes, yes, I do remember that. Yep, yep, that's that's a... But again, that's kind of... That's weird, isn't it? Because that goes back to Terminator 2 with when he kneecaps someone and says he'll live. And, yeah, that's... But he kneecaps somebody for the purpose of getting information out of them. And it's brushed over. It's like, bang, cut. No, absolutely. So, uh... So that is, yeah, that's more of a you know, Jack Bauer or a Taken thing than you would say like a Jason Bourne thing. Also just, sorry, no, also, no, the fact that we that we live in a world where to kneecap someone is a thing. And is a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a thing, it's like, oh yeah, every, every, you know, people generally know when you say, oh, he got, hit, he got kneecapped. <laughs> it's like, you mean somebody targeted a vulnerable extremity in in a way designed to cause him physical pain and you know to you know to either immobilize or extract information from him. Oh but kneecapping is always going like yeah that's always been there that's always well that's kind of like yeah, gangsters you just use a kneecap each other. But yeah so never elbow. You never you never hear hear you got oh I don't think we we elbow yeah because that means something else. That means two okay. Yeah yeah it's yeah, like, it, the confusion there that means that let's the elbows, not go off on an etymological yeah, the elbows are off limits. Although that would be more in, interesting ultimately than the Jason Bourne film. So boom you open up with a cyber hacking, then you're into the Greek riot where Bourne meets up with Nikki and I thought, okay, right, so you're gonna be bringing in things like Austerity, um, you know the current financial crisis. Um, I thought yeah, you could even get like you know, um, you know the refugee crisis in this as well because Bourne operates in a very real world. Um, nope. But it, no, and it all just seemed like it all just seemed to be window dressing for the same old Bourne story. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because we were talking about when Bond got rebooted with Casino Royale, he was literally born again. It owed so much to Jason Bourne, and Bond owed so much to Jason Bourne. And that's because Bourne seemed really vital and James Bond seemed quite arthritic and it needed like an injection of fresh ideas and fresh blood. And that came from Bourne. And watching Jason Bourne, it's like, oh no, you now seem as kind of antiquated and arthritic as uh, as Bond did. Well, that's the thing. Because of the whole moral ambiguity, the moral sort of murkiness that these films dwell in, Bourne has never... Bourne doesn't stand for a single clear idea. I mean, he represents certain things in terms of, you know, he's, he's former CIA, he's, you know, delving into his past and sins and the rest of it. But yeah, like, what is the Bourne franchise at its core? Well, actually, I'd say the Bourne franchise, well, no, the Bourne trilogy at its core is about you know, realising... That, and again, because that's the thing about the Bourne trilogy is that it comes from a very specific time when America was doing very specific things that weren't that good. It was like you know, Guantanamo Bay and there was lots of things there. And the Bourne trilogy is literally someone waking up to what they've been involved in. I mean, there's that line that Clive Owen says in the first film that then Matt Damon says... At in, the end of Ultimatum. At the end, 
of ultimatum, which is a really you know, nice way to bracket it. Like, yeah, look at what they make you give. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Yeah, look at what would become. Look at what they make you give, or something like that. But, yeah, that you're that you, you know, basically have given away your humanity. humanity for a lie. You're not working for freedom, you are working for the interests of a corrupt government organisation. And that was the thing about the original Bourne films, it was like, it was all being backed up by what was happening in real life as well. So it was this, you can say it's like, yeah, wish fulfilment, but there is one guy out there who has the skill and he has the knowledge and he has the smarts to right the wrongs that are being done at a government level. And I mean, the thing is, and to do it in a very, very um, thrilling way. Ever since they got rid of Marie, I mean, we can be. Uh, I can do that film. That film is twelve years old. So, in Supremacy, when they oh, killed, yeah, when they killed it, off yeah. the Franco Patente character, his love interest, Bourne doesn't have a lot of humanity. It's not like we're seeing. It's somebody struggling with the knowledge of terrible things he's done in the past. But there's nothing really grounding him in the present, in terms of like. I, I, you know, I, you know, when he's when he, we see him at the airport briefly, it's not like we see him perusing a paperback. It's it's not like you know, he doesn't have any interests apart from either you know self-flagellation or the mission at hand. In Jason Bourne, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's an issue. I'm absolutely right about that because in the original films, you can argue that you, know, you never see him you know, kicking back with a beer and like you know, putting on an episode of something to watch on telly because he is utterly in the mission at at hand, which is a three-film mission. And his humanity in the original trilogy is you know, front and centre. One, because he is having to atone for what he's done. He's, yeah, and the more he finds out about himself, the more he finds out he was not a good guy. But he is, he is a good guy. In Ultimatum, there's a fantastic scene in Waterloo Station with Paddy Considine as the, um, as the Guardian journalist when he's having to talk him through Waterloo Station to avoid the assassin. And you think, yeah, I want Bourne in my corner because this is a guy who's going to take care of me. But just That's... do what he says. Just yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, don't think for yourself in this case because he knows more than you. But in this film, it's like, well, you're right. He is just a blank cipher because, again, it's yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, well, he had his sense of closure at the end of Ultimatum, so now he should be kicking back. He should be kind of like you know, living a life. But he's not because we have to continue the franchise. Yeah, the end of this film is you know, leaves it open for like another film. So it's like, well, is this? Are we going to have a second Born trilogy now? And is this like kind of just a bit of a a reboot for another trilogy of films that's going to tell the exact same story? Because also, this film seems more like a sequel to Supremacy than to Ultimatum. I thought. Yeah, but, yeah, because Ultimatum does have that closure because he goes off the roof and he's in the water and he's being and, he, and he, there's, the, there's the light above him. And all of a sudden, you know, the news report goes, you know, nobody was found. Yeah. And then the Moby sort of music kicks in, and he and he starts swimming. You're like, okay, that you know, he's being he's being reborn. He's free of that past. And now they have to sort of reopen that kind of or delve deeper somehow into who David Webb was, you know, before he became born. The thing is, David Webb is not an interesting character. Like we know so little about this guy. Yeah, you go into more of the character of David Webb in this film, but, but we we also learn like nothing about him as a person. Yeah, like we we don't leave this film knowing anything more about who David Webb was. You know, I don't know. Just give him something that give him an interest. Give him. I'm not like not even like a hobby. I don't need to you know see him <laughs> set there doing Warhammer or like you know <laughs> assembling airfix planes. 
but just give him something. Give him like a character note by which you're like, okay, that's a thing that you do when you're not murdering people. Yeah, it's, I um, mean, because at least you know Vincent Cassell's character is introduced watching the football. Yeah, which is really good because he's a European hitman, therefore he will watch the match. Yeah, you're right. That's the thing is that, and they did make reference to the fact that Bourne has killed 32 people or something like that, and that he is a very valuable asset to to the program, which they keep talking about. And uh, yeah, but it, again, it, it is just window dressing. I mean, yeah, I mean Bond drinks heavily and makes. Double on like Bond. Bond is gourmand. Bond, Bond has things that he that he's interested in, and that he cares about to one degree or another. Yeah, you know, drink and food and sex and cars and cars and that and that's that colours him. I mean, it's it's always, you know, on one hand, it's an excuse to show you know beautiful surroundings and beautiful women and you know to give that have that degree of oh I wish I could jet sit around the world and live his life except maybe not without the missions bit if I, <laughs> if I could have the expenses account of, of a double O agent without actually having to yes, save indeed. the world yeah. that would be great if there could be no danger but I could still kind of eat in the best restaurants go to the finest locations on earth drive the best cars and sleep with the best women or, or the most beautiful women then where do I sign up as long as I don't have to put my life on the line at any point but it's um... and because and, there's, there's none of that with Bourne I mean you're like no. you have a very impressive skill set but you know and I guess we've said a very impressive <laughs> physique but what is there about you more than that yeah I suppose what we're saying here is what is his particular set of skills yes <laughs> and it is a very particular set of skills yeah so if the story is for Buncombe and the character is a cipher and the character is a cipher and Matt Damon I don't think can bring this one to life. He does seem to just be going through the motions of Bourne. And Tommy Jones is, again, just, you know, he watched Brian Cox and said, fine, I'll do that then. Um, yeah, you know, obviously there are a lot of them are there because they've, you know, been holding positions a long time. But when is the CIA going to start phasing out the craggy old white dudes? Because they're always involved in some sinister off the book shit. Well, it is getting some young blood in here with the Alicia Vikander character. She's. Like a protege agency to. Um, I mean, he says that, but there's, there's no. But there's no evidence of that. And then, and actually, whenever she shows any um, initiative, he looks a little bit annoyed with her. Which you kind of think, well, yeah, okay, right. So that's the thing is that, yeah, maybe yeah, but for it, his it, character, it, it, she had to be kind of like you're brought in to um, to bring up the female quota within his team. So therefore, he isn't really. And, and they they refer to one thing which is interesting that the film never really does anything with is that they do she's referred to as the girl on several occasions yes indeed and again you think well that's yeah potentially there's some good stuff there but it's like but none of it seems to really have been fleshed out and we you know, and we've already had a you know apart from Nikki Parsons we've already had like a competent female government official you know who's on the who's on the, you know, the right side let's say because that's Pamela Landy in in Supremacy and Ultimatum played by Joan Allen played by Joan Allen yeah who isn't in this film and it's like where is she she I needs mean, to be in this she's film. probably she's probably gone off she's had her career has moved because it's been 10 let's not forget it's been 10 years we've been watching Bourne films for 14 years the la- and <laughs> it's like and but, we're all still here doing this thing doing this but i say within the Within the universe of Bourne, he is one of the most important aspects of her career. So therefore, and also we're led to believe that you know the CIA has never stopped looking for him. He's always been on their most wanted list. He's just gone off the radar. He's very good at staying hidden. 
but you think, well, if he resurfaces, then they would, then she would want to be involved in that. Um, but I just think that Joan Allen probably said, I'm, I've got nothing else to do with this character. So then, it really, it, it then just falls on the action. So, is the action good? And you said there were three set pieces in this film, and you're right, yeah, one an act. Um, so what are those? Well, it's the it's the Greek the the, uh, the Greek riot, yeah, which. You know, they talk about ripping stuff from the headlines. This is between the sort of ripped from the news feed. From, and, you know, yeah. lots of people dressed in red, you know, and there's like that sort of yellow mist that's probably presumably a combination of just tear gas and, and, and the way it's lit. Yeah. And, you know, throwing Molotovs and facing off against armed riot police. And, I mean, it's, it's very well orchestrated. Yeah, because there's like, um, because he and Nicky have a... Um... How like a motorbike chase, don't they? They're being chased by Vincent Cassell, and it's kind of uh, and it is and it, yeah. And I thought that I thought there's lots of moving parts here. There's lots of extras and stunt people who happen to get in the way of various things. Lots of you know, flaming objects being thrown off of roofs. And just just but to me though, did this feel less organic and more orchestrated than the previous film? Yeah. So we'll get onto that in a moment. Um, so what are the second and third ones? Uh, the second one is on um, in Paddington on the yep. bridge. That recalls in very, you know, it, it's uh, a bit like the Waterloo sequence from Ultimatum, and that's the thing. All of these, to some degree or another, feel like things we've seen before in the Bond franchise. You're right, actually. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right because the riot scene is a bit like the Alexander Platt scene from Supremacy, Supremacy yeah. when yeah, Nikki. Um, has to meet up with Bourne in the field, and he uses a protest as yeah, cover to meet up with her. So again, this is a, this is like yeah, Bourne. This is the Bourne hits package, isn't it? It's, um, so the Paddington Plaza scene when he has to meet up with someone who can tell him more about his past, blah blah blah. But of course, others are watching as well, and others are trying to move and, in. But the thing is, the finale of this one doesn't feel like a Bourne film, no, because it's Bourne. It's not. Like you know, born moving parallel with the bad guys as is usually happening at this point. You know, they're looking for him and he's kind of moving alongside them to whatever they're destined. You know, in this is born, it's born doing the pursuing, mm. and, and that, that, that you know it's in, it's in Vegas, which the end the, the final act of this film felt very generic. It really did, and it also felt um, yeah. Obviously, we're not going to give. Too much of it away, but it's it had it, yeah it even had echoes back to the Manchurian Candidate, and that's a film that's fifty years old, and it's like really we're going to be doing this sort of thing as the climax of your film, and then it had a car chase, and you're thinking, well, I'm sorry, but Bourne has had some of the great car chases. I mean, so the, the car chase in Russia at the end of Supremacy mm. is a real crunchy, kinetic. It puts you in the seat next to Matt Damon you are literally yeah, he does a lot of his own driving in that because he was in that rig that, that the car could be in and yeah, so he could have things like yeah, slamming into him and not be injured and that really kind of yeah, gave you something that you hadn't seen before and then Supremacy um, sorry Ultimatum has that great chase through New York and it's all very kind of cramped and and scrapey and crunchy and if you get hit at a not a high speed. It's there's still like an impact to it, and it seems very yeah. It seemed very authentic. Um, and this is just big. This is just big. This is I would say this is much more like a Michael Bay type action scene rather than like a Bourne action scene. There's the um, 
So there's the the swap van going through traffic and literally cars are flying up in the air and it's like this is just nonsense. I'm sorry, but this is why are those cars flying up in the and air also, so we've high? Got to it's like presume that everybody in those cars either died or was seriously injured. Yeah, but it's kind of um, you think it's yeah, Bond, the, Bond, yeah, Bond. the asset kills a lot of people in this film anyway. But yeah, oh, yeah, that's the thing. Born has you know, I'm going to say that in Identity and Supremacy and Ultimatum, there's obviously some unseen collateral damage, but nowhere near on the level of this film. No, 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 that's right. It's um. And that's why it seems, again, like Bourne fan fiction. It seems like, yeah, someone has written... Has basically just written another Bourne adventure. And it just... But you grab a bit of of that Bourne film and a bit of that Bourne film and a bit of that... And a dash of sort of, you know, topical... Yeah, yeah. And you say, like, yeah, what are the topical things now? Well, social media, everyone's worried about that. And, like, you know, the, you know, the global recession, people are worried about that. So we'll put that in for, like, yeah, a bit of window dressing... And then I'm going to have this amazing action scene at the end that's much bigger than ever yeah, been done yeah, by any Bourne film before. It's going to be so big and so amazing and just like you know, so just so great. And it's like, well, that's not what Bourne is. Bourne is not huge action scenes. He is kind of like you know, it's it's just the fact that you're next to him when he's having to fight his way through stuff. And um, that's the thing. Bourne, all the original films felt linear and quite fast moving. This has though the, the, when the action scenes come along they're good and they you know I think they, I think they, I think they're, they're, you know they're all even the one even the final one it's a de- the the Vegas car smashing scene that we're complaining it's like a fundamentally decent you know it's well shot it does a thing but they are a bit like lumps of gristle like or, or beads along a chain you yeah. you know you get your sort of plop 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 action plop 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 action it's like yeah it is like someone and I would imagine it was. Um, Greengrass and Routes went through the original trilogy and said and just wrote down like you know the beats of a Bourne film and kind of said right we can break this into um, I don't know 70 to 100 scenes or so um, and we have this amount of talky scenes for this amount of um, suspense scenes for this amount of action scenes and we're going to do the exact same thing here and we're going to plot it in the exact same way so that you know exactly where you are with all the beats. And that's the thing is that I watched this film knowing exactly how long I had left and where exactly where I was in the story, which I think in the other Bourne films you didn't really know. There were elements of surprise there and there weren't any elements of surprise here. And even and that yeah, extends to character. You have you know, very, very competent actors, all of whom give efficient performances but they have no flair to them. Yeah, Alicia Vikander isn't allowed to do anything other than be someone who's very committed to the cause, but of course there would be something that Tommy Jones does that she has to think about it a bit more, blah blah blah. And it's like, well, yeah, okay, so she said her lines in a in a convincing way to make me think that she might be someone who works in the CIA and Matt Damon hit that guy in a convincing way to make me think that he spends his time hitting people <laughs> and, and Tommy Lee Jones smirked in a way that makes me think he's got deep reservoirs of evil in his past because he's the devil as you said It's um, and then you get to the end and it's like and that's it, another Bourne film's happened and we all go, oh, must watch the original trilogy again and I have it. Yeah, they're great. Play, yeah, you yeah. should. I mean, I've got the, you know, I've got that Blu-ray box set. Currently and... available on Sky Cinema. Currently, currently available they? on Sky Cinema. Oh no, am I lying? No, currently available on Sky Store. On Sky Store, right? I say, yeah, yes. Having, said, having <laughs> yes. just said that, it's like, no, no, I would have had to, I would have had to pay for them. Yeah, I don't think that. Uh, 
yeah, this um, no, cinema had the... Because if they were available in cinema, we'd be editorialising them, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not currently editorialising them. That's what so. I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, kind of, uh, Rob works for Sky Cinema, um, and uh, so, yes, a quick plug there, um, and Sky Store, so, um, yeah, and you can rent them now. Well, as of the 30th of July, 2016. So we're thinking, that, okay, this is going to be a franchise. I just think that if, if, if they're going to do this with Jason Bourne, then basically ditch the amnesia stuff and say right give this him, is yeah. just just give him missions give him missions um, just say this is just yeah just treat him like Bond and that's yeah. fine yeah the amnesia stuff it's like I who cares yeah it's like you you had closure and now we've opened up this wound again and we're gonna go and learn some more about David Webb and I mean, has he, never, has he never, you know, we've known his sort of birthplace in, I think, like, Missouri. It's like Biloxi, Missouri or something. Yeah. Like, has he never been back there? Has he never just thought, like, you know what, I'm going to go and actually do some research on me. And then that's what he probably would have been doing. It's like, yeah, after Ultimatum, were you just not interested in going back into your past? Because you were also in the mainland home? United States at the time. Absolutely, yeah. Kind of like, yeah, just going back to Missouri, you're seeing your home and seeing who you were. And just... Like if you had any parents? Yeah, indeed. Like, family? Like, like what, what school you went to, what your childhood memories were. It's like, you think you would spend... If you're going to do Jason Bourne, this is a Bourne who should be absolutely aware of his own biography um, he should know everything about himself because that's all he's been doing he's been filling the gaps because he's literally got a lifetime to catch up on well the opening line of this film is now I remember everything <laughs> yes apart from it's that like, bit the, it's like no no you don't and this film is going to remind us of that it's like oh, again you, and again and you're going to remember things when it's convenient and certain details in memories are going to come into focus as and when the plot decides that this is useful information to impart. And one of the interesting things that you pointed out after you'd rewatched the trilogy is what is Bourne doing when he's remembering stuff? Because presumably he's standing there with a vacant expression on his face because you said, is he remembering in real time? Are these thoughts happening in real time in his head? Is he seeing this? Yeah, like getting the same sensory input that we're getting. Yeah, Um, yeah, and it's one of those things where you don't really think about it because flashbacks for cinema are basically yeah, kind of they are to fill in character and to advance the plot. The screen goes all wavy, and you're sort of in a different time because this thing is this is him. Well, now it's more of like a um, yeah, like a smash cut through something, isn't it? And it's all kind of like filmed in like a different yeah grade or film stock or something or anyway, all that gone. Yeah, but in this time, like, yeah, he's remembering these things. And there are certain, there are a couple of sequences in Jason Bourne which, in, which seem to suggest, like, he kind of, you know, the memory ends and he kind of goes, oh, yeah. Like, and he, it's like, you know, if I was in charge of the CIA, CIA thing hunting down, I would go through Bourne's file and I'd find things that are likely to trigger a memory. And then just so I can get him when he's having one of those little. And then get the. Because there was a great shot here and there's yeah there's a moment in this film that seems to nod to that and it's a rare moment of humour I think when he is immersed in his past and someone takes the opportunity there to try and get away but there is a great shot to be had in a Bourne film where he's remembering and then it just cuts to like kind of uh, omniscient view of him just standing there and the person is holding like in, going or like 
yeah, snapping their fingers in front of his face and then just walking off because he is completely catatonic. Or just in a supermarket. Yeah, indeed. Like, like him of... just standing in the checkout queue in the middle of the supermarket and you just cut to CCTV of him sort of standing there slack-jawed and then being like, Sir! Sir! Sir. <laughs> or it would be great if he was like, uh, you're holding can of beans and a can of soup and then he has one of these and it just looks like he's having the most what am I having for dinner tonight um, yeah if, if I was a CIA guy charged with bringing him I'd just go and find all Bond's all his home movies wait till he surfaces again and just start broadcasting them absolutely and then just send a very low level skilled team to go along and say alright Jason come on we're going to go this way now we're going to pop you in this van um, yeah, don't worry about that. We've got about another three minutes of this one, so um, he's going to be like yeah, immersed in his memory for ages. So, all right, Jason, come over here. Much easier. Because um, nobody has ever used the fact that he doesn't know stuff against him. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. And they have, yeah, and they will presumably know everything about him. Uh, so, I don't know. We'll see. <gasps> Next film Born goes home and ends up at a family reunion. The Born Reunion. The Born Reunion. Yeah. But you shoot, but you do it as a broad comedy. You do it as a broad comedy, but the comedy comes from the fact that he keeps freaking out and you're punching people and it's, it's a they Thanksgiving. They haven't seen him in 20 years. It's a Thanksgiving reunion and uh, so he weaponises the turkey at one point and beats someone up with a, a drumstick from, or something. Why is like this that. not a film? <laughs> it is now. Greengrass, if you're listening, Bourne needs to go off in a different direction. We suggest that broad comedy, the Bourne reunion, uh, would be a good direction to take this in. I mean, they're eyeing a $55 million opening for this film in the US this weekend. It's also opening in this country, of course, as well, and I'm sure it'll do, I don't know, five or six million or something. It'll do like a healthy amount, meaning they probably will do another one, but I literally don't know where they can take this again if they're going to just do the, it will just be a repeat of the original trilogy and it's like well who wants that that's the thing these films feel like they've been workshopped or you know made to fit a formula instead of everybody sitting down and going why don't we try this like there's nobody are there no blue sky thinkers in, I mean actually that's, really, that's the most redundant question because of course they are and of course they're going oh we could spend ages coming up with something really novel and interesting and risky or we could just do the same old shit and they will buy it and they won't particularly like it but they won't hate it. Yeah, and it's kind of... Uh, it's interesting because it, it seems to be... And I, again, I could be completely wrong but this seems to be a franchise that has been brought about by the director and the star more than the studio because Universal certainly do not need a hit. They have the Fast and Furious films. They have you know the Jurassic films. They have Minions. They have quite a few healthy projects and quite a few healthy franchises now that they can just guarantee a return on. So the fact that they're doing another Bourne film, it's like just seems to be that you know, Matt Damon and Greengrass said, yeah, we want to do like another Bourne film. That's it. Yep, fine, or here's, fine. Or here's just a tremendous amount of money because Bourne has probably something like 25 lines in this film. Yeah, it will be interesting to count them up because he doesn't do a lot of speaking here. And he got paid, I don't know, probably somewhere in the region of that many million yep yep you think it was like kind of uh, just as his fee and then he of course gets like a back end so um, yeah he's going to make yeah but you're thinking well Matt Damon more like Dat Mammon Dat Mammon Mammon of course being the embodiment of greed (laughs) yeah you see 
both spoonerisms and references to like biblical mythology. You don't get that in every single what, Jason Bourne saying? podcast, do you? We're not saying that Matt Damon is purely fueled by greed, by the way. But um, it would be interesting to have a conversation and see why he thinks now was the time to bring back Bourne and why Bourne is relevant and that if he does bring up things like surveillance, then be like, then why wasn't that addressed in, interestingly in the film? And Greenworth as well. I mean, like, yeah, these are two intelligent guys. You're thinking, like, why did this story have to be told? What was it about now and this particular story that you felt this is a reason to continue the franchise rather than leaving it as three, I think, perfect action thrillers. And, and one I, sublime. And one sublime science fiction thriller. <laughs> if there's any confusion, we don't like Legacy. Well, I, I don't like Legacy. And I think that you're not a huge fan of it either, maybe. <laughs> I saw it on a plane. I, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was fine. I was in a pressurised cabin for seven hours. It was a thing to have play before my eyes yes if you're in a pressurised tube at 30,000 feet trapped then legacy is tolerable but uh, that is the only because you can't walk out of course um, <laughs> well, not that you wouldn't want to try at some point I think yeah Matt Damon seems to be doing very well for himself Greengrass seems to be doing very well for himself you know, Captain Phillips was a real return to form after after Green Zone yeah, and I then think that, okay, right, so now you're back doing Bourne films then. Okay, fair enough, so we'll see what happens with so, this. Do you think they're going to keep up the same pace as the, the original films, and there'll be one out in sort of one, two years? If this does well, I would say, yeah. I would think what they What are they would... going to call it? The... I, and apparently the, the Bourne Betrayal was a mooted title for this film. Um, oh, oh, so do we, have, do we have any more alternate titles for this film? I think I've, I think I've got one. Go on. The Bourne Ennui. The Born on Wii. That would be great. The Born on Wii. Yes, well, I think that should be the title for this film. The Born on Wii. The, um, I think that the next one would be The Born Deja Vu. It's like, okay. Even you can just put any word there that sounds... <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, The Born Agenda. I think, I think they should play on the fact that it's born. So, um... The Born Again, or, <laughs> or something like that. Let's just, just Born to be wild. Just have fun with it. Born to Boogie. That should be the next one. He actually he just becomes like a disco dancer in in the next one. Um, Murdering people to the tune of Staying Alive. Yep, indeed, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? And when he you know, he does the whole strikes the pose, the arm goes up in the air, it comes down, goes around someone's neck, and he snaps it. And he snaps it. Brilliant. And his opponent in that is also like a you know a formidable disco dancer. Played um, by John Travolta. Played by John just Travolta. Just have John Travolta. Just make John Travolta, you know. Played by Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I, I Interesting watched, character. I, I watched Mark Wahlberg. Max Payne yesterday, and I'm in, a, I'm in the mood not to watch any Mark Wahlberg for a while because mm. it's not good, is it? It's 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 objectively a bad film. I mean, and I played the most recent video game, and it's very garish and stylized, and I mean, there is an interesting version of that film to make that doesn't just sort of sit there like a lump. Yeah. Okay, so is there anything else that we need to cover for Jason Bourne? No, I think we've been fairly comprehensive in our opinion and we've done it all in less than an hour and a half. We have, which is quite amazing. It's um and uh yes, if I didn't have to go and have dental surgery right now, I, we would talk about Star Trek as well. But uh, which I think has a lot of the similar things of, to Jason Bourne in yeah. terms of we're making a Star Trek film. Yeah, well, there are certain beats we're going to hit, 
and it's about we, we can mention that in our combined. Well, we will presumably we're seeing Finding Dory on Sunday. It's Friday today, uh, and we may well work that into like a combined Finding Dory belated Star Trek Beyond podcast. Yeah, indeed. It's um, but I think the Star Trek, even though it did hit the beats, etc., etc., you expect Star Trek to do that. And, and it's only supposed to be fun. That's and, right. And it was. Yeah, and luckily I had a good time with Star Trek. But Bourne's meant to mean something. Yeah. Yeah, Bourne's supposed to be intelligent, mainstream movie making. And it wasn't. It was very pedestrian, very familiar mainstream movie making. And, yeah. Uh, I just, I mean, yeah. It would be interesting to see where it goes from here of course when the next one comes out of course we'll go and see it again and we'll see if they do anything different with this but if the next script is just a continuation of this then I'd say it's time for the Bourne retirement Hmm. (laughs) and and if it involves Bourne beating someone up with a turkey leg Greengrass we're coming for you yes indeed for a yeah indeed I want an original story by credit for that one Anything else? No, I think we've born. I think we've. Uh, I think we've covered it. I think it's been. We've borne it out. We've borne it out. <laughs> it has been borne out. That's right. It's just, a, it's just a bit of a shame, really, isn't it? This was one of those where it's kind of like I. But I think we both kind of knew that it was going to be this. That it was going to be like a yeah. It's, it's a happened. perfectly acceptable action thriller that should, by all rights, be more than that. Yeah, because well, yeah. In my humble opinion. The original trilogy, a five-star movie is all. And this one is, if you're being charitable, I think is three. If you're being particularly... Vindictive or... Or critical about the about the lack of imagination in, in here, then it's two. But, yeah, anyway. So, on that rather downbeat note, but we are sad that the newborn film isn't very good, it's goodbye from me. <laughs> and goodbye from me. And... Thank you for listening, and uh, we will speak to you again very, very soon. Ciao. Ciao.